listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Good morning, church. Welcome to the second part of our series called Armor Up, and uh, it's, it's a pretty exciting time here at the church. This series, we kicked off last week, and it was a blast. If you missed that, uh, you can definitely catch any of our sermons online at newchapel.com watch. Uh, and if you are watching online, make sure to share this feed. It's part of my personal attempt to troll Mark Zuckerberg, and it would mean a lot to me personally. Um, if you have anything to take notes with in the house today, pull that out. Today's going to be one of those days. And uh, I, I really want to help you as we preach this message uh, with, with something that I think is going to build your confidence. And I'm not talking about self-helpy stuff. I'm talking about having a real resolve and confidence in who you are and who God is. You know, in the series, we presented the armor of God, and we, we said that we need to armor up. And I think that's funny because in a lot of the churches that Kai and I have attended as we were growing up, we saw people through the years, and, and they were spiritually naked. I'm just telling you. They were, they were like church streakers or something, and, and, and they would wonder sometimes why they were going through hard times, why they were facing difficulty and they couldn't come out the other end. It, it's because they're naked as a jaybird spiritually, and, and they didn't have the armor of God on. We, that was funny, I don't care who you are. That we as the body of Christ, we need to be those people who are willing to put on Christian attire. And I'm not talking about your DC Talk shirt. I'm talking about God's spiritual armor that he prepared for us. Can I hear an amen? And we said last week, it's important because we're in a battle. Anybody else in the room face a battle? Just lift your hands. Uh, any other liars that aren't lifting your hands? Go ahead and lift those up. <laughs> um, uh, we all are. All the time. There's, all, there, there's always something. There's always something knocking at our door. And Kaya and I aren't immune to these things. I mean, we go through things. And, and in the room, uh, if we went down any row, I, I think you'd find a checks mix of people going through financial battles and, and issues with relationship. There might be a kid battle going on in your life, a battle with your in-laws or outlaws <laughs> and mother-in-laws. And you might have a health battle. You might have a battle with the person you're sitting next, in which case just sit straight, look forward, don't do anything right now if you're smart. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me through to Ephesians chapter 6. This is that famous passage of Scripture in the Bible where Paul details the armor of God. Now, it's very interesting about this book. It's written while Paul is actually in prison. You might not even know this, but four out of 13 of the books Paul wrote in our New Testament, he was imprisoned while he was there. And in this way, they would actually chain the prisoner to a praetorian guard, which would be your, your high-end special ops Navy SEALs of the Roman Empire, a bad-to-the-bone dude. It would be like what we would think of in, in the American armed forces. They were the elite of the elite. And while he's there, he's staring at this guy, and he made friends with him. We know this because in the book of Philippians, not my message today, but pretty interesting, uh, Paul says at the beginning, hey, greetings to everybody, and I especially send greetings from those that are of the house of Caesar. In other words, the people who were enemies of Paul, who were locking him up in prison, 
He talked Charlie with him, made relationship with him, and the guys got born again. That's a pretty cool thing, which, which also would tell me this. We don't fight against flesh and blood, right? We need to realize who our real enemy is. And some of the people who you're upset politically about, you're upset relationally about, can I tell you, there's an in somewhere where you can be able to make a difference in their lives. So, so Paul's looking at the attire that the man is wearing, this Roman soldier, and he begins to take the, the, the uniform of the enemy and use it to preach to us deep spiritual truth. It's, it's pretty amazing. I'm going to start with Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes, and he is a schemer. It says, put on the armor of God. Go ahead and look at your neighbor. Go ahead and look at them right now. Look at them. Look at them. All of, you know I can see you. Look at your neighbor. Say, armor up. Go to your second choice real quick. Look at that other person. They're probably far away. Just say, armor up. You get that when you become a pastor, a license to do that. <clears throat> you know, back in, in the Roman Empire, they would wear these togas. And, and I got to tell you, I'm so sick of seeing churches that look like they come from Little Caesars and they're having a little toga party church. And, and what I want to see is the, the men and the women of God begin to wear this well. And I think it's, it's our inheritance. It's something that God wants us to do. And my belief is this. God has given us everything that we need to win in the battles of life. Now, today we're going to be talking about the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to continue reading Ephesians 6, take up the whole armor of God, and then it says, gird your waist with the belt of truth. We talked about that last week. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate of righteousness is pretty cool. Uh, it was the most ornate piece of armor. In fact, throw up that picture, guys. Uh, pretty cool showing of what it would actually look like. They actually molded this one off from my abs, uh, which is pretty cool. <laughs> A um, lot of laughter for that one, pretty quick, too. Way to be an encourager. Anyway, but um, you can see the, the, the breastplate, and it has two sides to it. It's got a back side and a front side. Remember that. And uh, it actually worked in tandem with the belt. So you're, you're not going to be right or righteous if, if, you don't, if you're not based in truth. With, there's, there's some spiritual detail there. But uh, it's, it's pretty cool because they would spend a lot on this. Uh, of the whole armor that they would wear, I'm talking about shield, breastplate, everything, helmet, it was around 70 to 80 pounds, but the breastplate alone would be 40 pounds. Easily half of what all of their armor would weigh it would be put in to the breastplate. And, and it's, it's for good reason. It's because it guarded the, the neck even, uh, the chest, where you have the heart, the lungs, the vital organs of the body. And, and, and so when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, unlike the belt of truth, where it's really talking about your mind, the, the belt of truth is mine, but the, the, the breastplate of righteousness is really talking about your heart, your spirit. It's guarding your heart, if you will. Now, uh, it is the most productive uh, uh, piece of equipment because it's both offensive and defensive. It was both all together, and uh, it's very similar to how we would think of a, a bulletproof vest. My buddy Blaine, who is army strong alone, like he's an army of one in himself, he let me borrow this today. And first service, I hadn't picked it up yet. It, this has got to be 700 pounds. I have no idea. Like, this is so heavy. 
And it's really, it's, you'd laugh, you come up here and do this thing, my Lanta. He just wears this and works out in it because grit, you know, like it's a lot. But, but here's the idea with the breastplate of rice. Listen, that's alarming. Okay, here's the idea is that with a bulletproof vest, you're trying to protect those different organs. You're trying to protect yourself. And the idea is, it's not that I want to get hit in the arm, but if I got shot in the arm, it's all right. There's some things under that bulletproof vest, though, right? You, you don't want to get hit with in that area. It's, it's mission critical that I don't lose a heart. I only got one, and I'm very partial. And, and, and so the idea is that this is critical to the whole concept of the armor of God. In fact, I think it would be the mascot for what you would think of. And it's, it's, it's the breastplate of righteousness, of righteousness, of something, something that God is doing. Now, if an unarmored soldier was army strong, if you will, if he was fast, if he was tough, it all doesn't matter if they get hit with an arrow in their chest. Does that make sense? So they can have all the potential in the world. They could be well-trained, but if they don't have the gear to take care of attacks, it, it's not going to bode well for them. And listen to me very carefully. You might be a person that says, oh, Pastor Joe, listen, I, I don't know about all this righteousness stuff. I love Jesus, but, like, I, I've messed up so many times. And I just, I, I, I'm not even going to attempt to be those kind of, I, I got to do me, and I'm, I'm pretty quick on my feet, and I can dodge things. Listen to me. If you are not protected with the right equipment in this area, and the arrow comes, the attack comes, you will be a casualty of war. This is vital that we get a hold of this concept of being guarded by God's goodness. And it's so important to understand what a big player that this concept of breastplate of righteousness is when we start talking about confidence, our well-being, our relationship with God. Now, I have a two-point message. You know how those go with Pastor Joe, and so buckle up, buttercup. But number one, write it down. Righteous identity covers and it protects. Righteous identity, our identity in Christ, a righteous identity, it covers and it protects us. Um, I, I want to deal with this one for just a second because we have some people that were just never told this by their church or, or maybe you're new to Christianity, but I, I want to explain it. When we say the word righteousness, uh, it almost sounds like something out of a 60s movie or something, you know, like what do we mean by it? Righteousness means this. It means to be in right standing with God. It means that you could stand in front of God eye to eye. That, that's crazy talk, right? It is, but it's something that he wants for you. It, it, it's a necessity for your life. So when I say righteousness, the root of righteousness is right. It means that you are right with God, and the only way to do that is through Jesus. The cool thing I love about God is he is a person, a, a personality that will subject himself to the same rules that he puts everybody else. Like what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I love that about him because he lives by the standard he sets. It's not arbitrary. Now, Mankind fell in our, our, our earliest times, our most primitive times. And, and when we did that, we opened ourselves up in this world to a lot of, of hellfire, a lot of awful things. And the idea was that, that there was a chasm created in between us and God, and nothing could fill it. That's the reason why God sent his son Jesus and, and sent him into the world and why he was perfect, why he was perfect, blameless in everything that he did. He was righteous, and the, and the only man that had been righteous since Adam. He was even called that in the Bible. He was called the second Adam. It's very interesting what Scripture prophesied about him by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59. It says this, for Jesus, talking about the future Messiah, he put on righteousness as 
a breastplate. Very interesting to me that the first one to put on the breastplate of righteousness was Jesus Christ. He wore it. Now, he wore it even though he was free from sin and free from flaws. So that tells me this, that there are righteous people, Christians even, and they don't put on the armor of God. They don't put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is not something you do to become righteous. It's something that righteous people do, if that makes any sense. And in this righteousness concept, it is totally relative to position. So, so we think of like righteous as being a good guy. That's not really how it works. You're talking about holiness. So you can't be more or less righteous. You're either righteous or you're not righteous. You're either in right standing with God or you're not in right standing with God. But holiness, man, I've known people. In fact, I preached about you first service, Sharon Ann. I said she is a spiritual Jedi, prayer warrior. She's known Jesus for a long time. I mean, how old are you now? 35? Lord Almighty. I mean, just, you know, and, and, and I'm going to tell you, through, through time with Jesus and spending time there, She's more holy. She's closer to being like God, meaning there's a behavior difference. But there's a lot of Christians. You're going to heaven. You crazy. And, and, and you're righteous. Like, you're in right standing with God. How, Jesus? You know, like, it's just the blood. You know, like, you're, you don't act right. But you, at, anybody know anybody like that in the room? I don't know. Just I'm throwing it out there. And so, so we have to realize that righteousness is relative to position, and it's relative to really a superior position. You'd say that with your boss, like, are we good? And it's the same way with God. Now, Genesis 17 has a very interesting passage about Abram, who later became Abraham. I'm going to read it and explain a little bit. Genesis 17, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. The idea was that God was making covenant with man, and that opened up a lot of things in the future to be sure. That's why we call him Father Abraham, you know what I mean? Like he opened up the ability for, for God's only son to be crucified. And, and it's, it's very interesting, the spiritual weight that Abram held. But how God brokered relationship is, hey, come out of this land that you're in. I'm going I'm to take you to a land I'm going to show you. And he said this, you're going to be blameless. Like you're going to be righteous. How? You're going to walk with me. See, we have this idea because of what happened in Judaism around the time of Jesus, which was it really got pickled. It became all about the do's and don'ts and the keeping of the ritualistic laws and the feast days and the Sabbath. It became all about the doing instead of what God initiated it with. And Abram predates the law. The idea is it was always, our righteousness was always supposed to be based on our relationship with God. Now that's, that's really underscored in the fact that Abram was not always doing the right thing. You have to read long in his story, and he's a compromiser sometimes, especially he kind of threw his wife under the bus a couple times. When he got into Egypt, he lost his mind. I mean, it's just crazy decisions. He would lie, have some bad, shady business dealings in the way that he would treat other people. It, it's something that would happen in his, uh, in his relationship with God. And so you can see that this, this idea of him being blameless or righteous before God, it was a gift of relationship because God loved him, not because of what he was doing. Now, when you become a person who says, God, I'm going to walk after you. I'm going to be in relationship with you. I'm going to be a righteous person. You're really saying three things to God. The first one is this. Maybe write these down or take a snapshot with your phone. The first one is you're saying, God, you created me. You're acknowledging that you are not self-sufficient or even that your parents alone created you, that 
God Almighty knitted you together in your mother's womb, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that because he created you, he kind of gets a vote. The second thing that you're saying is that, God, because you created me, you have every right to judge me by your standards. You're, you're the standard bearer. We use the word fidelity a lot, but you know what fidelity means? It means faithful to the original standard. And the standard bearer is God Almighty. Now, here's the good news with all of this. You're also saying a third thing, especially as a New Testament Christian. You're saying, God, when I fall short, I trust that you're going to make up the difference with your mercy. I, I trust you in all of this. Do you see that? And the Bible shows us that Abraham, Abram, uh, he was not a perfect guy, but the relationship was strong enough. It was based on that and God's promise. It says this in Genesis 15. He, Abraham believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. It was his trust in God. Now, listen, if you are a Christian in the room, you're a Christ follower, you are righteous. You could stand before God blameless, eye to eye with him, not because you don't mess up. We'll talk about that in a second. Not because you have imperfections but because the greater one lives within you. You're standing in Jesus, and so when God looks at you, he sees the same righteousness as his son. That's mind-blowing, but that's pretty amazing. In Romans 5, 17, it says it very plainly, that righteousness is a gift. You can't earn it. The closest thing to your participation in it is simply accepting the gift that God gave us. Now, we struggle with that concept, that righteousness is a gift. It's gifted to you beyond our behavior. Why? Because likely you feel this, it's, it's in the air, and that is that most of our relationships, the way that we accept other people is based on performance. The, it really, it is. Now, now think about it. It's behavior. It, it's as simple as this. If you want a license to drive, you can't have too many speeding tickets. You can't have too many wrecks. They, they're going to be real nice. Now, here's the deal. I'm from the north country where I got keys, you know, like I'm still going to be driving. But, but how it works is they give you permission to Yikes. Um, they give you permission to do it. And so, so, so you see how behavior is rewarded. It's the same way with our kids. You reward your kids. Now, listen, you love your kids unconditionally, but they better act right, right? Like you've got, you've got a little bit of reciprocal. This could be privilege on the other end of all of it. And, and the, the main way that we give this, this uh, performance acceptance is through behavior. That's the number one and main way. The second way that we do it is through talent. You'll notice a lot of singers, I mean, they, they're amazing. They're amazing what they can do. No character whatsoever. But, I mean, I mean, they can sing you in the corner sucking your thumb. I mean, it's just awesome what they can do. And, and think about some of the movies that we see. I mean, just incredible production. But we all know the moral gravity that those people have in their everyday life, right? And, 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 and it's also that way when we start talking about uh, the value that people add, the production value. Do you get your job done? That's where you get your paycheck. So do you see that so much of our relationship is, is really based on performance behavior? There are a few of us that you get a little bit of a leg up because you're handsome or you're really good looking. And you might not know what it's like, but it's been a real cross to bear in my life. And <laughs> if Abraham can lie and he's still righteous, so can I. Now, what do we do? We create this ethos, and here's the, here's the script that we write in our head. I'm accepted because of what I do. And that's just how a lot of things really are, honestly. But with God, it doesn't work that way. 
God is very interested in what we do. Make no bones about it. But it goes deeper than just what we can bring to the table. Romans chapter 10. My heart's desire, Paul's reading this, my heart's desire in prayer for God, uh, to God for the Israelites, is that they might be saved. For I can testify about them that they're zealous for God. They, they're going after God, but their zeal is not based in knowledge. What are they missing? Jesus. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's. In so many people, they try to establish their own. For the Jews, it was through all the keeping of the commandments and ritualistic cleansings and, and feast days, all the stuff, the holy robics, if you will, that they had to do to be right with God. But the reality is it is a matter of faith. And, and if we're not careful, we unknowingly create a caste system, something like you'd see in India. Let me get real grassroots with this. Ready? I grew up in a church. Maybe you did too. And it was just, it, it was very critical. People looked down their nose at you. I mean, they had a dress code, everybody. You had a dress right. Women had to wear dresses or skirts. Boy, almighty, why'd they wear the ugliest ones you ever could imagine? Where did they ever come up with those massive denim canopies, you know? I mean, not only would they glare at you, but you could feel it like through their eyes, but you could feel it when they'd move because waft over and it would just be on you it'd be like oh my gosh pastor's wife looking at me she's on me you know and 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 you couldn't wear too much makeup but lord almighty they make up for it with perfume Woo! we couldn't keep the wallpaper on it kept on falling off because of how bad those old ladies stunk and we missed you at bible so did you you know i mean just that, that it's heavy anybody else know what i'm talking about or am i all alone and and, and, and it would just be, it would be that taking of inventory. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. Some of them didn't even mean it. Some of them loved God and actually loved you. It's just, they, we don't, Christians are so weird sometimes that we don't even know how to relate to somebody that's on the journey a little bit behind us. And Jesus totally, he'd be bucked at all of that. He ate with publicans and tax collectors just to say, you know what? You guys are doing that? Perfect. I'm doing this. I have nothing to prove. And that's the thing about really godly people. Truly godly people, they're not. Their anointing is not so put off when somebody who's not where they're at comes around. You know, the real mark of somebody who's godly is the people who might not be so far along want to be around them because they see what's happening in their life. It's attractive. It's religion that's not attractive I tell you what, a relationship with Jesus, it's the best thing going on earth today. So listen, righteousness is not given based on behavior. Now, I want to tell you about the attributes of God, and I'm going someplace with this. God has attributes, and, and one is that he's absolutely wise. He knows everything. Like, he's never woke up and been like, oh my gosh, it just occurred to me. You know, like, I have a great idea. None of it. He knows everything at once, okay? Uh, he's also uh, a God that has all power. He's all powerful. He can't get any stronger. He can't get any weaker. He's a God that is omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere at once. The lowest moment of your life, he was there. The high points of your life, he was there. God is everywhere at once. It's a pretty amazing thing. And God is absolutely holy. He has no sin in him. There's no envy in him to give. 
I mean, he, he doesn't want to steal anybody's anything. He doesn't want to lie to you. He doesn't want to kill or steal from you. In fact, I marvel. Every once in a while, I'll hear somebody. They'll say, Pastor Joe, listen, I had a loved one, and they died at a very young age. I guess the Lord needed another flower in his garden. What a bunch of bull. You show me chapter and verse about God needing flowers in his garden. That is the most jacked up, backwoods, northern Michigan theology I've ever heard in my entire life. It's wrong. It's wrong. Let me tell you, the great dividing line of the Bible is John's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 10, where Jesus himself says, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. If something was stolen from you, you lost somebody, God is with you through it all. God received your young one, but God didn't take your loved one. He is the God of life and that more to, to the full. Say amen, somebody. God is holy. He's sinless and totally righteous. He's holy and righteous. And he doesn't allow sin into his presence. If he allowed sin into his orbit, he would cease to be God because he'd no longer be absolutely pure. And God is love. He loves you. He cares about you deeply. And so there's the rub. There's the paradox in all of it. God is, is holy and blameless, and he can't accept sin. Here's the big problem. Mankind has the patina of sin all over us. But God is love, and he doesn't want to send his kids to hell. So what does he do? His remedy in all of it, the way that he needs to deal with sin, the way he decided is to send himself in the form of his only son on our behalf. That is amazing. Because he can't tolerate sin, he has to punish it. Think about this. If he tolerated our sin and just gave us a pass, he would be unjust. And God is not unjust. God is just. Because he would have to deal with the devil and the fallen angels the same way. And think of all the pain that they've caused people throughout the years. God is just. He still has to punish it. But he chose to put it all on Jesus, on the cross, in a moment. All your sin, past, present, future, all of it was on Jesus. I thank God because I know what I've done. I know what I do. And I say, thank God that I'm not that person. I'm who you have called me to be. And But by the grace of God, I'm still standing. So listen, here's the idea. In view of all of that, what Jesus did on the cross and how when we broker our relationship with him, it, it gives us that righteousness as a gift. None of us can stand before God without guilt. I'm not talking about the feeling of guilt. Because sometimes people feel guilty and they're not. Sometimes they feel guilty and they are. Sometimes, and I know a lot of these people, they should feel guilty and they don't. They're on the news, okay? <laughs> like everywhere at once. They're omnipresent too. And, and <laughs> so I'm not talking about feeling anything. I'm talking about being guilty and we all. We all are. Now, I'm going to read you scripture out of Romans chapter 3. The Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not even one. No, no person has been righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to wrestle this down and realize that without God and, and, and having that patina of unrighteousness, we're headed to a place that we're not wild about. And we cannot make this change ourselves. Let me read this out of Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going someplace. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, because you tell everybody. You, you'd boast. You'd be talking about how great you are and how, you know, you've got your spiritual lightsaber and I can do great things. And 
I'm going to tell you that, that, that the only contribution that we have is, is, is receiving it. Because it's, it's, by, it's by God's grace. And it is a gift. Let me read this. This is key. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, Pastor Joe, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's ridiculous. If you're still a sinner, you're not going to heaven. Better stop saying that junk. Doesn't mean that you don't sin. Paul talked about this tension in Romans, how it's like, I'm doing the things I don't want to do. I've got the sin, it's in my flesh, but, but, but I know that I'm righteous. And, but the idea with all of this is, God gives you a new nature, and that is the nature of a righteous son of God. Those are the ones that go to heaven, and it's apart from what you do. Wow, wow, that's a huge, huge deal. And it says that he became sin. I know that's, that, that might even sound offensive. Like, is that really in the Bible? Let me explain that to you. Jesus did not sin. He became sin for us. It was put on him to the point where you couldn't tell the difference. You know, when you go to the doctor's office, oftentimes, if you see their business card or their logo, they'll, they'll have a staff going up with those snakes going around. You don't, you don't talk about everybody. That's actually a symbol from the Old Testament. It's called the brazen serpent. And it was prophesying about Jesus on the cross. It's actually trying to say that, what is snake associated with? The devil. It's trying to say that, that the healing, if you will, is going to come through the brazen serpent. That's, that's the symbolism behind it all. He did not sin. He became sin on our behalf. Wow. E.W. Bullinger said it this way, and this blew my mind. We become in Christ all that God requires a person to be. Think about that. He, and he gifts it to you because there's nothing you could do to earn it. When we accept Christ, we become totally righteous and is completely apart from any performance game that you find yourself in. It's apart from all of it. It's the fact that you're a friend of God, John 15, 15, that you know him in an intimate way. That's where the righteousness comes. When you put your faith in that, that is when Jesus puts your sin behind him. Wow, that's not a fair deal. I'll take it. Can I hear an amen, church? Huge deal. Now, I'm going to say two pretty shocking statements, and I mean them to be, but, but they're true. And the first one is this. There will be plenty of good people in hell. Now, let me qualify that. Jesus says that there's none good except God. I'm not talking about how, how Jesus looks at good people. I'm talking about we talk about good people comparing them from one to another. Right? I'm talking about even people that might be a good contributor, a great parent, have a positive attitude, do great things for their community, were kind, good people. And, and here's the big problem. Why would they be in hell? Because they rejected Jesus. They were the God over their own life. It's not that they were even necessarily evil. Now, here's the next shocking statement. There will be many a forgiven sinner in heaven. Meaning, some of the people in heaven will have done less good than some of the people, like net positive, right, since they separate, than some of the people that will be in hell. Let that affect you. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to campaign for you to be bad. I'm not, that's not my, it's not my message. But do you see how this righteousness thing is an absolute gift from God, something we can't earn? Wow. Now, don't think that God isn't concerned with you doing good. He is. But we need to know why we're doing those good things. When we read through the Old Testament and it's talking about 
ritualistic cleansing and keeping the feast laws and stuff like that, those are dead works, meaning there's no benefit. Now, you might be a Messianic Jew and praise the Lord. You can do those. It's just not required anymore. It all pointed towards Jesus, and he came. But now that I know Christ, now that I am a believer, here's what I know. I, I need to begin to show good works. I'm, I'm not doing good stuff or trying to be a good person to earn salvation. I, I have the power. I have the power to do anything good now, to take ground in my life, to make change in my life, to avoid temptation in sin, to be able to say no when I wasn't able. I have the power to be able to do that because I've been made new on the inside as part of my nature. Now, that's a massive deal because, again, you have a new nature. You were sinner. You woke up and you wanted to sin. If you're born-again believer in here, you want to do God's will. You want to go to church. You want to give. You want to be fellowshipping with other believers. There's a new nature, and that new nature wants to, it has some production value to it. It's pretty cool. But we have to realize it's not for salvation. It's from it. Now, the Bible says put on the breastplate of righteousness, again, meaning other people. Christians don't always do it. This means that you and I have to put on an attitude, a mindset that is more righteousness conscious than sin conscious. And that's your war, buddy. Because the most haughty person I found, their inner monologue is horrifying. Because it's so easy to cut ourselves down. It's so easy to think that we're just, oh, I'm a dirtbag. I screwed up again. I can't believe. And, and, and what happens is, you end up spiraling in a negative way. But, but if you can say, God, I'm the righteousness, even though I just did, I acknowledge it. I was wrong. We'll talk about that in a minute. We, we can make things right. But I'm, I'm a righteous son of God. You didn't, you didn't give me up for adoption because I messed up. You didn't give me up for adoption because I did it while I knew I wasn't supposed to. You can't sin your way out of salvation, church. You're secure in God. You say, Pastor Joe, do you believe in eternal security? I believe in my eternal security. <laughs> now, I'm going to forego the conversation about somebody who gives up their salvation because it's fighting words in western Michigan. But the idea being, you want to be with God. He's not holding himself back from you. But as a believer, we have to be consciously aware that we're righteous before God. And it's so important because the world that we live in is full of spiritual enemies, spiritual enemies, demonic stuff. And, and, and the Bible says about them in the book of Revelation that they are called the accuser of the brethren. In other words, what your devil's doing, what, what every devil in hell is trying to do against you is accuse you. You don't really have a real relationship with, with God. You just got a mailer. Like, that's not spiritual at all. You, what you're doing doesn't really matter. Your kids are checked out. They hate this place. You should let them do I'll tell you what's from the devil. Give them a tablet. I mean, that, that right there. Lucifer, you know, I mean, just, you know. And so, so those things, accusing them. Accu the devil wants to accuse you. He's bringing an assault against who you are in Christ and trying to take you down, drag you down, make you feel unworthy, and condemn yourself out of taking the next step before you. Jump on the boat with the rest of us who know we're not perfect and still are taking the quality steps that God are. It, it, if you look around this room and say, I don't know what the church, who cares? You, follow God. Right. We're all trying to work this thing out. I just got to the party before you. I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, Satan is out to destroy your confidence. Listen to me. This is huge. This is massive. Confidence does not come from your head. 
it comes from your heart. Listen to me. Catch it. Confidence does not come from your head. It comes from your heart. That means that some of the people that have a bunch of bravado, they're the least confident. Some of the people who are mild-mannered but will go up and put a soft hand on somebody to pray for them, they are the most bold and confident people out there. I'm talking about Sharon Ann. Bold. See, man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And what we have to realize is there's different metrics going on. And so this boldness and this confidence does not have to come from you even having a big personality. You can still be you. I, listen, some churches want you this is so nuts. You have the right to be yourself. And God can empower that in its context to do great things. Now, we'll be helpful to try to point out fear or a spot of timidity. But listen, in the context of who you are, you can be confident and bold because you know God. Say amen, somebody. Wow. When we don't feel accepted, when we feel rejected, when we feel like the people in the room don't, you can feel that. People feel that when you walk into church and they feel judged. I remember several years ago, I was working at a certain church, and it, it was awful. It was so bad. I, I became the pastor's whooping boy. Everything bad that was going on in his life somehow found its way to me. He would tear into me. And at the, at the same time, he made me be in this internship and made it so I couldn't work. And they didn't pay me. The Bible says a workman is worthy of his hire. I had bills stacking up. Student loan bills went into default. I had credit card bills and phone bills. When my wife and I first started to hit it off, I mean, I ironed my shirts. I did everything I could do to be clean and presentable. I didn't have any new clothes. But, I mean, even in that, it would start to rain, and, and Kai would wonder why I'd get kind of cranky when it would rain. I'd work very hard not to cross my legs when I was around her because if, it, if I did, you'd be able to see all the holes in my shoes. My socks would get so wet when it would rain. It would be so frustrating. I'd think about everything that was happening to me, and it was awful. It was just awful. I learned how to, how to dicker socks. Anybody old enough in the room to know what I'm talking about? I can't afford new socks. i got to sew them. That's how I know how to sew today. i got to fix my own socks. Go down to the dollar store and buy cake mix, borrow eggs, and I'd bake a birthday cake and live off from it for over a week. My mother is an alcoholic and a drug addict. Thank God she's on the mend. God's done amazing things, but... but the worst abuser of my life was my spiritual abuser. It was my pastor. It was awful. It was heart-wrenching. The worst things that you could imagine. And, and, and how did I feel? I felt like a dirtbag. I was made to feel like I caused everything that went wrong in his life. And at that church, I was made to feel like, like I didn't have a call. And anytime you'd say, hey, I think God's telling me, oh, no, 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 you're hearing this, you're hearing that. And, and, and playing the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life was this person with a thumb on my forehead. There came a breaking point. See, the devil always overplays his hand. It was Pastor Tommy. I was talking with him on the phone. I remember right where I was. I was on M37, headed southbound. It's where it divides off right next to Glenwood Estates over in Sparta. I'm going there. We're talking all that way from my hometown until I got to that spot, and it broke. And I was crying so hard, I had to pull off to the side of the road, and it broke in me. I'm not going to let people walk all over me. I am who God says that I am. 
I am not who other people say that I am. I am God's son, and he is pleased with me, and he loves me, and he has promised me a future and a hope. And if he hasn't given up on me, I'm not giving up on him. I had to stand for that. Do you know how difficult it is to break it? Maybe you do. To realize that you are somebody to God. He loves you. And if it were only you, he would have died just for you. Wow. That condemnation, never knowing where I stood, always feeling like people were talking about me when I walked in a room. I hated it. Listen to me. Jesus came to this earth. And God sent Jesus to this earth. So you did not have to accept him, become born again, and live condemned until you die and go to heaven. That is not the reason why God sent his son. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but because he loved it. And we have to realize that. Shake that junk off and realize who you are in God. I am made righteous. Now, we had to be made righteous so that we could get something else. When we talk about righteous, really, we're talking about where we stand. It's a position, right? I am righteous. It was a gift. All these. It, really doesn't, it really doesn't even refer to any power to change how you are. It's really just talking about a position. But the breastplate of righteousness has another side. Remember what I told you. They had a backside and they had a front side. When they were armoring up, they had back and front. Now, think of the Roman soldier. He was gifted his armor from his superiors, very symbolic, right? But he had to learn how to walk in that armor. Isaiah 58. I've never heard this before. When I saw it, I leaped. Your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. It's going to say the same thing now in a different way. Your righteousness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will guard you from behind. Two sides to a breastplate a back and a front, there would be a leather strap holding it all together over your shoulders. What God is saying is this, in essence, my righteousness, I got your back. You can't sin your way out of it. I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I got your back. I'm your rear guard. But your righteousness, and listen, we're not talking about a righteous person. There is none righteous, no not one, until Christ, right? But, but when you're living out this breastplate of righteousness, when you're living out your righteousness, the other side of it, that's where you're going to take ground. Now, let me qualify what that is. That is salvation. You can't be righteous and not be saved, but it's different. It has a different function, and here's what it is. Salvation in the Greek is soteria, and it means God's power to deliver from the bondage of sin. We think of that just as a salvation thing, but it has the power to deliver you from the bondage of sin in this life. It is the chest plate. It is the breastplate. It's armor on this side. God's got your back in position. This right here is talking about a practical side of your righteousness, which leads me to the second point of this very short message. Righteous identity empowers godly living. We don't act right to get righteous, but because we're righteous, it empowers you to do things you wouldn't be able to do otherwise, things you might have discounted yourself for. Now, let me say this. It doesn't happen overnight. Just like when a kid gets born. You, you're not looking for them to go to college the next day. No, I got a little baby, and you nurse them. And, and listen, let me also say this. Some of you have, whatever, I'll just say it. Some of you have known Jesus for a long time. You're still a baby. We're 
not upset when you're taking your beginning steps, even though it's a little bit late. You know a real sign of maturity in the body of Christ? I'll give you a picture of it. My daughter was born, uh, she's a year and a half-ish right now, and she walks now, but the first year when she was kind of taking those first little steps, you know how their core is all jelly still, and they're managing their weight, and, 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 and I remember my older son, he, he went up to her, and he wasn't like, this was ridiculous. You're taking it, this is awful. You're not walking, right? I mean, get your act together. You, you need to be walking better. Don't you know where you're at? You're going to hit your head. No, I'm going to tell you the real sign of maturity. My son had her by the hands and was walking her through the, and he smiled, look, look what's that. You think you're big bad man or jammer Christian, you'd be taking the hands of those little babies and walking them. Hey, look, look what they're doing. That's maturity. And so when you're taking your first steps in this thing, you're going to fall. And you're at a place where it's okay to fall. We won't condemn you. We're not going to come after you. Listen to me. You're going to accept it as part of the process. And when you do, you won't condemn yourself. And it's so important that you don't. Because if you do, you're going to go down that road of self-condemnation. You're, you're, you're going to lose that purity. You're going to lose the incentive to move on. And that's why it's so important to keep your flow with God pure, guys. Now, this is going to be a tough one for some people in the room. I know. When most Christians commit sin, they don't walk before God. Remember what we read about Abram? I see most that when they mess up or, or, or say too much or, 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 or did the sin that really embarrassed them, they, they disappear for three weeks from church or, or three years. They, they stop going to small group or they stop coming by and, and they say, well, you know, I, I really can't pray like this. You, know, I, you don't even know what I did, you know. And, and, and they come in here, and they, they might even come in, but I'm not going to worship. I, I don't want to be a fake. It's very disingenuous. I know who I am. I don't want to muddy the waters around. And, and listen to me, that's not right. You're bringing in maybe some old church doctrine where you need to have penance and pay for what you've done and be dragged through the mud, and you need to hurt a little bit before God's going to accept you. God took your hurt already, and when you think you have to add hurt to it, you're diminishing the hurt he took for you on that cross. And so we have to realize that beyond all of it, and it seems disingenuous, this is crazy, but, but the moment you sin and you realize it, God, I'm sorry. L let me read it for you. It's 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There it is. It is not based on you doing enough good stuff and weighing the scales enough so you can feel. Listen, I do this. This is how I know you do it. I want to feel like a good doobie, you know? I struggle listening to Coldplay on the way to church because I've got to listen to Hillsongs to get myself ready. It's like, I don't want to eat KFC on Saturday. I need sanctified chicken. I need Chick-fil-A in Jesus' name. I don't want to muddy the waters. <laughs> Who cares how you feel? I feel rotten. Who cares? You did it. You can't change what you did. Run to your God who loves you. Get back. Lift your hands, although you feel like a dirtbag, and you watch God be the lifter of your head. Because that's when you need him the most. Let's not go three months or, or a year of penance hiding from God. Well, Pastor Joe, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I hear you. You don't want to use the process. Because sometimes you sin and you knew you were going to do it. I remember what it was like to be in the world. When we were going to go party, we saved up for it. 
front row was laughing pretty hard at that one. Golly. Good night. Uh, my sister's getting married, Pastor. You know, listen, I, I, I'm not condoning that at all. But I'm saying the moment you mess up and God speaks, you run to him. Even when you plan to sin, you felt what it felt like. And you're like, oh, I'm an idiot, right? Yep, that's awesome. We all got a little stupid. We got to iron out. That's all right. Run to God. It's not you figuring it out. It's you having this relationship resolved in him. And the longer that you work the process of having God has my back. I have a position in this family. I'm not a lowly sinner saved by grace. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am somebody. He has a call on my life. He has plans for my future, good and not evil, plans to give me. He's got my back. And then I have my righteousness, my working out of what he's already done. I've got a little bit of flash as this thing goes on, a little bit of ornament as I've gone further in the faith. I look good as it ages. Because God is good. And the more you work the twofold prosperity blessing of this righteous breastplate, friend, the more you're going to turn to God in every battle. My encouragement to you, armor up. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for meeting us in this place. God, I thank you. I thank you that people are getting it. People are seeing it. And I know God still, there's some people in the sound of my voice, and they feel condemned. They feel like a dirtbag. They might be next to somebody that thinks everything's all right, but they feel awful. Some people, they look back to one event a long time in the past. For some of them, they have amnesia on that, but they just constantly drag in the patina of the world, and and they, they don't let themselves off. God, minister to my people right now in the name of Jesus. I ask God that you'd speak to their hearts. Tell the daughters of God that they're daughters of God. Tell the sons of God they're sons of God and that you love them. God loves you. He is for you. You were saved by grace, but you stopped being that rank sinner. Now you're in the family. God, I sense that there might be one or two in here that have dealt with spiritual abuse. Where a man of God was supposed to be there for him, and he wasn't. He let him down. Friend, I'm so sorry that happened. I can tell you there's a tomorrow. I don't know what kind of father you had, but God is not your daddy, and God is not that pastor. There's freedom in the house today. Don't carry that. Forgive him. You don't know what he did. He went too far. Listen, you can't let that take up space in your mind, real estate in your head the rest of your life. Let him go. Turn him loose. Forgive that person by faith. Somebody who's supposed to be a mentor or a coach who lets you down. Heads bowed just for a second. God's doing his thing. Maybe even it was, yeah. Yeah. Might have been a dad. Supposed to be something to you, and he wasn't. Friend, God's not your dad. God loves you. And that person who hurts you might never say sorry to you. I I don't know. It's okay. God has a way forward. God doesn't need all those people, those ghosts from the past to bless you. He can bless you apart, aside from all of them. Apart from all of them, 
put your feet on a rock. I just want one more minute of this. Thank you, God, you're speaking to your kids. Freedom. Father, if there's anybody that doesn't know you through Jesus, help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you came into my sanctuary today and you'd say, Pastor Joe, I don't have a relationship with God. The only way to have that relationship is through Jesus. He already brokered that relationship for you. And the gift is found when you call him Lord. The Bible says if you call Jesus Lord, you'll be saved. Lord means boss. It means you're done. You realize you being the God over your own life has gotten you so far that you're not such a good God, but he is. You call Jesus Lord, you give it to him. You give your future to him. I'm not giving you a cheap Jesus altar call. It's everything. He's looking for everything. You won't become a different personality when you, when you get with him. You'll be the best version of you. Don't be afraid of him. He's gentle and he's kind, and he's long-suffering, and he loves you. You make Jesus Lord of your life, the Bible says you'll be saved. You'll have an eternity in heaven, avoid a Christless hell. But that eternal life you're looking for, that peace you're looking for, it doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment that you accept Christ. And so church, I want to pray this with those people that are in the room and listening online that, that, that need this relationship with God through Jesus. Let's pray it out loud with them in support. And if you are praying this for the first time and you mean it, you'll be saved. If you say it like it's poetry, you'll leave the same way you came. I think God wants to do great things in your life. Pray it with me, church, out loud and proud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart, and with these words, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Louder than that, church. Come on, somebody. Proud of you. The reason why we do that is because we're excited because we know the freedom that God brought into our lives is right there for you because of what you did. Now, listen, you don't need to come forward. I'm not going to call you forward, but we do need to connect. Similar to the first-time visitors that are filling out that connection card, I invite you, grab one. Nobody's going to know whether you're having a prayer request or you're a first-time visitor or what decision you've made. Nobody's going to have eyes on you in that way. Here's what I want to do. I want to send a note to you in the mail talking about next steps that God has for you. God has huge things in store for you, and the least of which is to fill out that card. If you came with somebody and I said heads bowed, eyes closed, and you done peaked, I give you absolution, my son. But you got to get your friend and go fill out one of those cards. They need that information, and you know what it's like. We needed that information at the beginning of our walk with God. Hey, one last time, church, let's give up to those people that accepted Christ. Praise God. Stand up on your feet. Did you all get anything out of part two? 
I'm glad that you did. Um, just, just a couple of announcements, uh, one of which is our new kids' classrooms, we're still, you're still, we're all getting the hang of it when it comes to these new classrooms and checking them in at the door. Have a little bit of patience as we're doing our check-in and check-out. Maybe budget a little bit more time for the next several weeks, but I am so grateful for having these new classrooms. And in fact, last weekend, I haven't even heard about this one, but last weekend, we had six kids give their life to Christ back in New Kids, which is so cool. That's so cool. Um, and, and so I, I'm enjoying it, but budget some extra time. The second announcement is this. Everybody say tonight. tonight. Everybody say tonight. tonight. We're having a Super Bowl party here at the church house. It's going to be awesome. If you are a big Bengals fan, yeah. one, I see that hand. May I have another? I guess everybody else on the other team? Thank God you went woo, because I have no idea who it is. And so it's L.A. and Cincinnati, I know, but it's the L.A. Dodgers? I don't know. That's with the cheese head, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not, okay. So listen, come by the church. We're going to start at 6. I think kickoff is at like 6.30 or 15 or something ridiculous, but come at 6. And uh, we're having a chili cook-off, and if you haven't signed up for that, please do, but you can, we're never going to stop people when they're giving food. And so you can come and just surprise us. Surprise us with any food. We're down. Uh, we will have some food, drink, stuff like that. There's also a dip contest. You can still sign up, and uh, it's for more than bragging rights. I think we have a trophy now, Pastor Brian, don't we? have trophies. We have trophies. Come on, New Chapel. Eighth year, we got trophies. And so uh, you want to come. There's going to be a Euchre tournament for people to understand that Godforsaken game. There's going to be uh, serious people watching the screens. You can bring your kids here. We're going to have some areas open for families to have. It's going to be a great time. Make sure that you come out. Pastor, I mean, you're going to be here, right? Yes. You play Euchre, though, don't you? How ridiculous. But anyway, you can come. You can. Anybody else hate that game? Welcome home. Okay. Kaya, come up here, baby. Let's pray for the people. Hey, we love you. Can't wait to party with you tonight. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, as you go, see you tonight.